I go away for one Sunday. And somebody comes in here and switches out all the pews, fires two-thirds of the music team, took down the green wall hangings, put purple ones up, put up black candlesticks. Somebody hocked our silver chalices and bought clay ones. And who decided to take away the hallelujahs? If you're visiting with us this morning, the laughter should tell you that I'm having fun. Most of these changes are because of Lent and our altar guild switched out the candlesticks because, uh, and, and the chalices because Jesus left the riches of heaven to come and dwell amongst us in this dark place and uh, all, all, lots of other changes. Thank you so much for the altar to the altar guild. Um, our music team is low because some members are at Dynamos and others are just away and it just so happens that we have Dave and the Dave um, with us this morning. And uh, glory to God for these pews. Thank God for the church who gave them to us with no expectation of anything other than thanks and prayers. And Father, please fill them. Well, last Sunday, I was away from here, but I was still working. I was at our mission church, Christ Anglican Fellowship in High Springs, and they send their greetings. If you're new to servants, you may not be familiar with this, but throughout our history, we've had several mission churches that we've had arrangements with, and one is Christ Anglican Fellowship in High Springs. New Life Anglican Fellowship in Lake Placid was a mission of ours before it became a, uh, its own parish. And at one point, we had a mission in Crystal River and then in Beverly Hills called St. Uh, Christopher's Anglican Church, and I was the vicar there for two years. And that was 12 years ago now. But it was a very troubled parish. It had a catastrophe. It went from a Sunday attendance of 60 to 14 in one week. And in one month, the rector said he was called to another parish and left. Obviously, this was a traumatic event in the church. And uh, the little remnant that was left called servants and said, help. And so Bishop Neal and Father Alex and I met and uh, Bishop Neal told me to go down there and, uh, and, and just start all over again and treat it as planting a church. And buddy, when my bishop tells me to plant a church, that church is going to get planted and it's going to stay planted. <laughs> and it is planted today, six feet under. <laughs> I ran that church right into the ground, just like my bishop told me. Well, again, I'm, I'm having fun. We just never achieved critical mass and... A couple of funerals and families moving off and finally it was the five of us sitting around church looking at each other and saying what to do and the treasurer said well next Sunday is in the new year why don't we just call this the last Sunday and everybody said yeah but we did good we got everybody into another church so we we didn't just slam the door on everybody we took care of them for a while but anyway I've got lots of stories from those days. We had a visitor one Sunday. That sticks in my mind because that was very rare. She was an Italian-American woman from New York City, and somehow she had made a connection with our, our Italian-American uh, Italian family from Rhode Island, and she came one Sunday. And then she came back. Now, that never happened, or at least hardly ever. She came back in the second service. We were sitting around drinking coffee and talking, and she smiled, and she said, you know, I like this church. Nobody here is born again. 
And we just kind of sat there. And all of a sudden, she got a look of panic in her eyes. And she said, are you people born again? She looked like she was going to run from the room. She'd had some neighbors in an apartment that she lived in in uh, New York City who were born again. She wanted nothing more to do with any more people who were born again. And she never came back. Well, Jesus uses word pictures and metaphors that really work, that are effective. Some of them work really well and others of them kind of problematic. You might be talking to a coworker and said, last Sunday after church I went and did this. And they said, oh, where do you go to church? And you might say, oh, I go to the church of the living water. And they might say, oh, that church of the living water. Oh. Or, I go to the church of the bread of life. Oh, that sounds nice. Bread of life. I go to the church of the good shepherd. Oh, that, that sounds kind of comforting. I go to the church of the light of the world. Wow. I go to the church of the born again people. Hmm. Well, it carries a lot of baggage, right? There's perception to that phrase, both inside and outside of the church. And it's a perception that goes kind of like this. Some people are really broken. And some people really need help. Some people are really broken, like drug addicts and criminals and prisoners and people who are out living on the streets and people who are down and out. They hit bottom, but then they have a deeply emotional, spiritual experience that washes through them. And they credit this experience with changing their life and turning their life around. But if they're going to turn their life around, they've got to have a strict moral framework. They've got to have solid rights and wrongs, or else they might go back to that old life that they had. They've got to have black and white ways of seeing moral issues. There can't be any middle ground because they need to have moral stability and answers and a foundation for being behaving and being good. And they need that certainty. And then they insist that everyone else must have the same experience. They must have the same born-again experience. And even if they don't ever have this experience, they still need to adopt the strong moral framework anyway. And I think that's the mindset that a lot of people have towards people who say they've been born again. What's interesting is that the phrase born again only appears in this one place, this one story in John's gospel. And it's a play on words to begin with. And this one place where the phrase appears completely explodes this perception of being born again. It's the only place and it explodes it. The world says that being born again is for broken losers, not people like me. But the truth is we're all broken losers. Now Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's not at the bottom of the social ladder. He's not a broken person the way the world thinks about broken people. He's not a lost soul as the world thinks about lost souls. He's not at the bottom of his rope. He's the ruler, he's the ruler of Israel, a ruler of Israel. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. We find out later the ruling council of Judaism. He's a rabbi of some distinction. He's famous. He's wealthy. He's educated. He's at the peak of his career. He's not seeking a new start to life. He's not a seeker like we used to talk about a few years ago, someone who's, who's desperately looking for God. He's not someone whose life is on its last legs. He's a wealthy, powerful man. About 25 years ago or so, there was a major debate in American politics. And for you young people, back in the old days, we used to have debates about ideas. And, and this debate was about the federal funding of faith-based social programs. 
Now, it wasn't whether, their argument wasn't whether or not faith-based social programs worked because everybody said they did. Study after study after study showed faith-based social programs are effective. The question was about federal funding for them, okay. But you would read columns in the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and these columns would say, uh, we, it, we, well, the issue isn't the faith-based social programs because you know religion works for, you know, those people over there. Religion can really help people like, like them. Not much of a suggestion that it would help New York Times columnists, but people who really need help, religion can help them. Nicodemus isn't one of those people over there. He's at the top. Well, it comes to Jesus by night. Maybe it's a dramatic scene. It was a dark and stormy night. Maybe the wind's blowing, we see in verse 8. Maybe. But Nicodemus has come to do some backroom dealing with Jesus, some politicking. Jesus is this rough Galilean carpenter, and he's getting a lot of attention through his teaching and his signs, and he's becoming really popular. You know, a guy like that could be very useful to some of the major players. And the Pharisees are the strong element in terms of religious stuff, and the Sadducees are the strong element in terms of political stuff, and there's always this tension between them. And Nicodemus is recruiting Jesus to his side. Nicodemus represents the religious establishment, and notice what he says. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He says, we know, not I know. He's speaking for a group. He's saying, we like a lot of what you are doing here. You know, maybe you can lay off a little of the criticism about the Pharisees. I mean, we want to work with you, you know. We help you, you help us. So first, he's not a broken spiritual speaker. And in fact, he seems to have no emotional response to Jesus at all here, no sudden spiritual insight. But instead, he listens, and he asks questions, and he listens to the answers. And maybe John is telling us that's the starting point, listening. So he's not a broken person the way the world sees a broken person. Secondly, he has no need for a moral framework to make sense out of life. Come on, he's a Pharisee. He's got the strongest moral framework there is. He follows the law of Moses. And he's a rabbi, a teacher. Jesus even calls him the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus is not a man who needs to get religion. He's got religion. He doesn't need a systematic way to make moral choices. He's already got that. And finally, it's clear, although not stated, but it's clear that there isn't a common experience to being born again. We don't see any immediate response from Nicodemus at all. And yet in the very next chapter, we see the Samaritan woman having an incredibly emotional response to being told another metaphor that Jesus is the living water. The story of Nicodemus has practically nothing to do with the common perception of being born again. Lots of people come to faith in lots of different ways, and each is unique. So then what does it mean to be born again? Specifically, what does it mean that Jesus says you must be born again? Well, again, first, this is a metaphor. It's a word picture. It's only used once, and it's not a technical term. So let's not get too hung up on exactly what that term means. It's a, it's a metaphor. And the theologian J.I. Packer explained that the, the, the word regeneration, which shows up in Scripture and in our liturgy, especially in our baptism service, doesn't always mean the same thing. There are different ways of thinking about regeneration and being born again. But there's also a word play. 
Because in Greek, the same phrase born again also means born from above. Born again and born from above. Now, how can the same phrase mean that? Born again and born from above. Well, actually, it kind of works like this in English. What if after the gradual, before I read the gospel, um, and, and, and or, or after the gradual, let me start all over again. After I read the gospel, and I came up here, and the music team, both of them, came down, and I said, nope, 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 nope. Let, let's try that again. Let's try that one more time from the top. And David said, What? You want me to go get rope climbing equipment and for me and Dave to climb up to the top of the roof and sing the song again? I would say, no, when I say from the top, I mean again. Start at the top and do it again. From the top to the bottom, right? That makes sense to us in English, right? Well, in Greek, it means the same thing. From above means again. From the top. Let's do it again. One more time from the top. By the way, the gradual was perfect. <laughs> Seriously. I, I, I'm going to have Nikki send out an email with the lyrics and say... Read these again. Just sit down and read them and think about them. So that's, you see, why we have the silly conversation Nicodemus about, do I have to crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? No, I mean from above. But Jesus goes with it. He says it means the same thing. You have to start over. All you've accomplished hasn't gotten you anywhere. You have to start over one more time from the top and do it again. Now, who does this message appeal to? Telling successful people. You have to start over. Or unsuccessful people, you have to start over. To one group, that's bad news. I got it made, I'm a success. You're telling me I gotta make it all, I gotta start all over. To the unsuccessful person, that's wonderful news. I get to start all over. People who have it together, you have to start all over. Or people who haven't got it together, you have to start over. Good people, you have to start over. Once more from the top. Or bad people, you got to start over. This is why Jesus told the Pharisees like Nicodemus, the pimps and the hookers are going to get in the kingdom of heaven before you do. Why? Because they want to start over. And you think you got it made. Not that the Pharisees are, not that the, the pimps and the hookers are more morally pure. The point is we're all sinners. None of us are righteous. No, not one. The idea of starting over appeals to the people who haven't been successful, the people who haven't been good. But the deal is none of us have been successful morally. And none of us are good. All of us need to start over. And that's good news to people who realize their problem. And it's terrible news to people who refuse to see their problem. So what does that mean, starting over? Does it mean trying harder? Oh no, that's not what it means at all. It means being born from above, being born again. Now, some mothers here may disagree with me about this, but no baby is born because that baby wants to be born or tries really hard to be born. I know we have one midwife here today. She's just I, I, I know she's, she would disagree, I'm sure. But I, I won't debate the point because we're talking about different things, okay? We're talking about different things. Um, you, I think you get what I mean. Being born from above, being born again, isn't about what you do. We do need a restart, but we don't need a new routine. The last thing we need to do is to try harder. 
because how good has that done for us? Going back to my years at St. Christopher's again, um, I preached a similar sermon to this, same, just a presentation of the gospel. And during passing the peace, uh, um, a Cliff, my senior warden, such a great guy, he's a bigger big bear of a guy, gave me a hug and said, Father James, you're right. We just got to keep working harder. And maybe God, maybe God will accept us. We passed the piece. I came back to the front and I said, okay, we're going back to the sermon <laughs> because apparently, apparently I died and said, I, that's not what I said at all. Look, you, you, a restart is not just a new routine. If you've got a farm and you've got lots of oranges and you say, you know, I'd rather plant, I'd rather have peach trees. I'm going to put more fertilizer on the trees. <laughs> well, you get bigger oranges. You get more oranges. You say, I'm going to, uh, I know what, I'll prune the orange trees and then I'll get peach trees. Then I'll get peaches. Now you just get more peaches or more oranges. You have to have a radical change and you can't make a radical change. That was in the collect for the day that Mother Susan read at the start of the service. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. We have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. All of us have tried to do that, and where's it gotten all of us? This is a radical shift, a radical change in the way that we picture ourselves. Nicodemus says, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and Jesus cuts him right off. Yeah, I came from God all right. You have no idea how I came from God, but you must be born again. You must be born from above. He cuts him off because there's no need for a great moral teacher. Jesus says, if you want a great moral teacher... Why'd you come to me? You don't need a great moral teacher. You are a great moral teacher. You are the teacher of Israel. Because look, there are lots of moral teachers out there. If all you're looking for is a moral teacher, just pick one. If I had to pick a religion based only on moral character, and I've preached this before, I have, I have two favorites. If you want to be a better person who is respected in your community, um, then become a Sikh. The Sikh men wear turbans, you know why they put the turban on their head? Because that's a signal to everybody that if you're in trouble, find a man with a turban because that man will help you. And every Sikh man carries a dagger. Sometimes it's a little bitty short ceremonial dagger. Sometimes it's a serious dagger. You know why? Because they are bound by their religion. If they see somebody who's being attacked, they have to go help that person. If you want to be a good person who's respecting your community and you get a cool knife, be a Sikh. <laughs> be a Sikh. You want everybody on the street to say, that family is a really nice family. Then become a Mormon. They're good people. I mean, if you want a good moral teacher, pick one. Because there's plenty of them. But here's what Jesus is saying. You don't need a great moral teacher. You need a savior. And there's only one of those. The world's full of moral teachers. What you need is a savior. And then what does Jesus do but go to this really weird little story in the Old Testament? All the way back in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 21. The people are attacked by poisonous snakes. People are dying. And God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent, hold it up on a pole. And when the people look at it, they will be healed. They'll be healed when they look at the serpent lifted up. They weren't healed through their own effort. Someone else, God, had to heal them. You see, you can't be saved by following a teacher. Because you can fail the perfect teacher. In fact, the book of Romans that we read from today is full of this. All of us fail the great teacher. 
But you can't fail being saved by a perfect Savior. That's what you need. Now, John doesn't record the end of this conversation. But Nicodemus listened, and he thought. He listened to Jesus, and he kept thinking about what Jesus had said. The next time we meet Nicodemus is in John chapter 7, four chapters later. It's a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And the religious leaders have gathered, and they're asking each other, what are we going to do about this rabbi Jesus guy? And Nicodemus says, well, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Give him a hearing and learn what he does. And this hearing and learning causes a radical transformation in Nicodemus. And how do we know this? Because the next time we see Nicodemus is in John chapter 19 after the crucifixion of Jesus. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Seeing Jesus hanging on a cross radically transformed Nicodemus. And how do we know? Because Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are men. And they took on women's work by anointing the body. That was the job for women, to anoint the wash and then anoint the body. By the way, that's why the women went to the tomb on Sunday morning. Because the men had anointed the body and they were going to make sure it was done right. <laughs> Why do you think they went back? Nicodemus put 75 pounds of spices on Jesus. And women said, they didn't do it right. <laughs> we'll go back. And what did they find when they got there? An empty tomb? There isn't a formula to being born from above. There isn't a model to match to being born again. How do we start well, Nicodemus tells us, I think, listen and understand. Or only three weeks ago, as we read on Transfiguration Sunday, God speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. But don't just listen to Jesus as a great moral teacher. Hear him proclaim to be your savior. Recognize your need for a savior and put your trust in him and be born from above. In Jesus' name, amen.